no doubt my friends are my friends are going to listen to this and say christy's talking about welcome to optimism that miserable scots git how how unlikely is that welcome to the pressure proof creative podcast the show which talks about the good the bad and at times ugly effects that the pressure to generate genius on demand can have on the creative brain and how you like my guests can better protect your most vulnerable and most valuable tool of the trade so if you're the owner of a creative brain keep listening and if you like what you hear don't forget to subscribe like comment and share here and on today's episode I'm chatting to the wonderful and extremely lovely Neil Christie who at the time of recording this which was about two weeks before Corona sent us all to our bedrooms was the CEO of Wyden and Kennedy London. Neil was born in Scotland up in Aberdeen to be precise and studied law before he joined the ad industry in the late 80s where he helped build Yellowhammer into one of the country's leading creative hot shops. After a couple of years at BBH, he moved to TBWA where he spent eight years running the Nissan and Cabri accounts and was promoted to their MD. Neil then joined Tony and Kim at Widens, which was back in 2004, and since then he's worked across all the agency's flagship accounts and seen it grow from a scrappy underdog in Great Titchfield Street, which is where I first met Neil, to one of the most sought-after places in the world to work at. In this conversation, you're going to hear how Neil has kept his feet firmly on the ground as his career went from strength to strength, and how a bias towards optimism and a side hustle as a musician has helped him keep a healthy perspective on life and deal with the inevitable pressures that come from being a high-profile leader. So without further ado, Mr Neil Christie. So, shall we just crack on and have a chat? Yeah, sure. Okay, Neil. Well, thanks. Thanks for um, coming to the chat today. Really appreciate it. And can you just start just by saying who you, a little bit about who you are and what you currently do today? Uh, yeah, my name's Neil Christie. Um, and until very recently, my role was uh, Chief Executive of Widen and Kennedy London. I'm actually just in the process of transitioning, transitioning into a new role, which is Director of Growth Markets, which means I'm kind of helping out uh, managing um, our offices in Shanghai, Tokyo, Delhi, and Sao Paulo. So, has it been an easy journey to get to where you've got to? Uh, it was. It was difficult to get into the industry in the first place, um, because back in the day when I was doing it, if you hadn't gone to Oxbridge um, uh, as an account handler, which is what I wanted to try and get into, um, a lot of places wouldn't consider you. And so in the end, I managed to get, you know, everybody used to do these uh, grad training schemes and milk rounds and stuff like that. None of them really extended as far north as Aberdeen. Um, so I, I managed to get one interview at, at one agency, which was Alan Brady and Marsh, and I managed to get the job So that as a, originally as a trainee researcher. So that kind of worked out. Um, so there was a... You know, it, it wasn't easy to, to get in, but I got in and then kind of went on from there and I was lucky to get, get jobs at, at other places. The, the things that were difficult was 
in the you know in the eighties, I worked at an agency called uh, Yellowhammer, which was mm-hmm. like a, a kind of hot shop of the day, and was a, a typical eighties um, boom and bust story where the agency became extremely successful and then very rapidly um, went public and went bust. And we were, uh, I vividly remember being evicted from our offices for non-payment of rent, and then the receivers were called in and uh, the agency was acquired. So that was uh, challenging, and then. After that, I was at uh, TBWA for eight years and went through a period of, I think we had six mergers in five years. So that was fairly difficult and turbulent. Um, yeah, so there's been some, been some ups and downs. So what was it that attracted you to Wyden and Kennedy? Because it wasn't obviously the place that it is today back then. I mean, what was it that attracted you? Uh, well, originally I joined on a freelance basis. So I had I'd left TBWA, which had... Uh, <laughs> as I say, had become kind of difficult and political. I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, I was, I spent about three days painting the kitchen and annoying my wife. And then a friend of mine uh, phoned me up and said, there's a freelance job going, um, doing this pitch for Honda at Widening Kennedy. Uh, can you come and help out? So I said, well, okay, I'm not doing anything else. And uh, what I found in that period freelancing at, at Widening Kennedy was that the things which had, I guess, frustrated me about my previous job, politics and bullshit and so on. There, there didn't seem to be any of that at Widening Kennedy. There were, there were a few other challenges, uh, but the environment was very different and I enjoyed it and uh, I had a lot of fun doing the pitch. So there wasn't a job for me right then when we, when we won the pitch. Um, but a couple of years later, when the MD job came up at Widening Kennedy, I phoned, phoned them back up and said, you know, I'd be interested in that and managed to con them into giving me the job. So what were some of the more difficult times during that period? At, at Widens in yeah. those days? Yeah, in the, well, the early I think days. In the early days, um, the place was pretty immature and chaotic in a lot of different ways. Um, we, we had very few clients. Um, I think when I started, when I started the full-time job, we had about three clients, uh, Nike, Honda, and Iowa. And um, one of the first meetings in like the first 10 days as the new MD was, I went to Tokyo and got fired by Iowa. So <laughs> so that was a great start. Uh, and we, uh, the agency wasn't really, was, I, you know, it had a lot of potential. We had done some terrific work, on those clients, you know, so there was, there was definitely the potential to do great work. Um, but nobody really knew who Wyden and Kennedy were in the UK. We didn't really have any reputation either amongst the, the, um, the kind of clients that we wanted to talk to or amongst the kind of people that we wanted to work for us. So we needed to, to rebuild and to, uh, well, not rebuild, we needed to build the agency, bring in some decent clients, um, attract the right kind of people and 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 uh grow from a, a kind of a scrappy place that was a bit more like a like, you know i was used to joke it was like a cross between care in the community and a student squat uh and try and turn it into a, a a proper business but without losing some of the things that were culturally great about it and made it fun and different and not part of the mainstream and how would you describe the, the culture of widen and kennedy then and the kind of the attitude of the place well, uh, I think culturally, um, we, we, tr- you know, we always 
people will have heard of this idea of chaos at Widen Kennedy. Um, uh, by which we don't necessarily mean that everything has to be disorganized and a mess, but what we mean is rather than thinking that you can process everything, we try to create an atmosphere in which unpredictability is possible and originality and creativity are encouraged rather than constrained. Um, but we don't allow the chaos to make people's lives difficult or unbearable. So I think culturally there's a, there's a desire you know, there's always been a desire to be a little bit outside the mainstream. Uh, the the office, you know, the, the agency started in Portland, Oregon, which is a long way from Madison Avenue. And um, it's always seen itself as, you know, outside of the middle of the road. Um, even, even though nowadays uh, we are, you know, we work with some of the biggest advertisers and the biggest brands in the world. We are a relatively big organization. We have mature and professional systems and life support and all that kind of stuff that you, that you need when you get to this size. I, st I think we still think of ourselves as being, uh, you know, not necessarily aligned with the values of the industry, if you like, and um, having a, um, a somewhat um, cynical um, attitude towards much of the, you know, the business of advertising. You know, we're still, I think we're still conflicted about um, some of the aspects of the business in that sense. Mm. Um, so, so, so I think atti in terms of attitude, we take, we take our work seriously and our clients seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously. There's not a lot of ego and preciousness here. Um, and anybody who displays any of those attributes doesn't tend to, um, uh, you know, they're not, they're not welcome uh, um, attributes to display. Um, and I think, um, you know, we do, we do demand a lot of people, but we try and give a lot back and try and support them and get the best out of them and, and create an environment where people can do their best. Do you think there's a certain type of personality? Because, I mean, it's kind of like people think of, of Widen Kennedy having a certain type of character who kind of goes there and thrives there. I mean, do you think that really exists? Um, no. I mean, I, I, I think there are, the, you know, the legend is because the, the agency started in, in Portland that... Um, they had to begin by hiring people who either had never worked in advertising or who were unemployable by reputable agencies because that's all there was in Portland or, or who would be prepared to go to Portland. I, you know, I, I, that was a long time ago. I, I think there are, um, you know, I think we still try to encourage and support different kinds of talent and diverse sorts of people and to recognize that the more the more different opinions we can embrace and the more kind of different voices we can encourage the more interesting our work is going to be um but i don't think there's any particular i don't think there's any particular type of personality or um person that we're looking for um hopefully we we just look for all different kinds of people but who have something particular to bring to the place do you think there's any type of personality you might struggle to be there i mean because you obviously have a very high bar that you set and it's about doing the best work of your life and do you think there's a certain personality that might not be able to thrive there uh the 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 glib answer to that would be we don't have a lot of time for our souls so people who have a strong sense of their own ego or superiority or take themselves very seriously those kind of people, I would say, perhaps wouldn't do well here or would 
learn to adjust their behavior. Um, but other than that, no, I think, you know, we have, we have introverts, we have extroverts, we have inspirational leaders who are uncomfortable with the idea of leadership at all. Um, so no, I don't think there's any, I, I think it's very difficult when you've, I don't know how many employees we've got now total around the world, two and a half thousand, something like that. Um, clearly that's going to, that's going to be a real mixture of different types of people. Mm, absolutely. And do you think, do you think there's a certain type of pressure that inherently comes from doing the best work of your life? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, clearly our is set high here and that brings um that brings some pressures um because it's it's harder to aim for doing extraordinary work than to settle for stuff that's just good enough um what we try to do is to recognize that to recognize that um you won't necessarily get the best work out of people by putting them under extreme pressure, which kind of paralyzes them with fear of failure. So we, you know, there are some kind of attitudinal things that we say, um, like embracing failure and um, recognizing that if, if, we, if we aim for the best work of our lives, then that's difficult. And that, that means that sometimes things are going to go wonky and we'll need to course correct. But saying to people, that's okay. And, and, and we don't expect that every time everything is going to be amazing and we'll put things in place to help and support you and also kind of recognizing um that um you know particularly in the last few years we've recognized that we needed to put things in place to look after people more so we in the london office we we had particular kind of um processes and policies that we put in place from things like limiting um meeting hours limited limiting email hours um providing um counseling and support for people who needed it or wanted it um putting uh you know we've always had things in place like um sabbaticals for long-term employees you know in london every every five years you get four weeks um paid additional holiday um, we give people days in lieu if they have to work late nights or or weekends. You know all all the kind of things that you you know, you would expect that a, a forward thinking company these days would provide. Um, because if people aren't kind of happy and um, looked after, it's very difficult for them to be creative. What are your thoughts on creativity and and a certain amount of pressure? I mean, because you need a certain amount to kind of get ourselves up and go in, and a certain amount to kind of get excited. What are your thoughts on that? The balance. Well, it's it, well, everyone's different, aren't they? You know, so some people, some people are the kind of people who uh, worked steadily all the way through terms, so that when they came, when the exams came around, they were very well prepared and they would get an you know good night's sleep and get up early, ready to start. And others were the ones who who didn't do that and crammed in the last few days and stayed up all night and tried to do it all. You know, when they had the deadline uh, to uh, force them to do it, and you know, different approaches work for different people. Um, what we try and do is recognize that different people need different circumstances to get the best out of them. And for, for somebody, it might be, well, I need two or three weeks thinking about this with a team of people around me in a, in a, in a team situation in a war room. For somebody else, it might be, I need a couple of days at home on my own thinking about this in peace and quiet. And 
you, you know, you try and recognize or, or discover what's best for each person in their ways of working, you know, recognizing that most of the time we're working in a team. Um, so people need to be able to rely on each other, but within that being flexible and saying, well, what's, what's going to work for this person? And, and rather than forcing them into a certain way of working, giving them the, the flexibility and the autonomy to, to, um, to, to do the best that they can. And do, who do you think the responsibility lies for to kind of work with, to what you, the way you work best? Do you think it relies on the individual to kind of to to kind of be aware of their ways of working and flag that up, or do you think it's the people the, the people who are managing them and leading them? Who do you think the responsibility is? I think it's a bit of both, and it also depends on the the level of experience of the, of the person. You know, for for younger, less experienced people, they maybe don't know yet what's going to be the best way of working for them, and so I think they look to mentors and managers to help them with that and sometimes you know sometimes for those people the the manager does need to provide stronger guidelines and um some structure um as people get more experienced and and get to know more of what their method is they they don't need that and they're they're able to kind of self-manage a bit more there's a lot of businesses out there where people are struggling with stress and probably more than should be getting signed off for that i mean do you see much of that or is that something that doesn't really happen there very much because because stress is such a subjective thing of course when we have a lot of employees there'll be some people that, that find the environment is stressful uh and there can be lots of different reasons for that i guess you know there might be a difficult or demanding client situation they might have a gap between what's expected of them and what they feel they can do. I mean, I, you know, in my experience, stress usually comes from that. It's that, um, it's that gap between what you feel you're capable of and what you're being asked to do or the, the, or between the, the, the task that you've been set and your ability to, you know, that you're within your remit or your power to be able to execute it. Those are the things where it gets stressful because you, you feel the stretch to be able to do what's being asked of you. But that is a subjective thing, and you know, one person's, you know, one person's stressful, difficult situation is another person's rewarding challenge. And again, I think you know, you, it, you need to create an environment where you can you can recognise those things and manage for them. Have you have you ever had stress in your life when you've looked at? I mean, I'm surprised if no one has, but a kind of certain stressful period. And how have you handled that? Have you dealt with that? Yeah, um, yeah. There's been one or two. There's been one or two examples. I mean, they, they were, I had, probably the most stressful time I had was at, it was at a previous agency, and uh, we the agency was under pressure, struggling financially, and I was responsible for a big client who exploited that situation where he he knew he had a lot of power to put the agency under pressure, put me under pressure, and treat the team in an abusive way and that was very difficult and stressful because i i kind of felt i was responsible for maintaining this relationship which was important to the agency but i didn't have i felt like i didn't have control so that was that kind of gap between what was being asked of me and what i could manage was difficult and how did you deal with that <laughs> i just <laughs> there's you know, I wish I could say that I had some brilliant answer to that, but I just, I just had to manage it. You know, I just needed to try and keep my team motivated and engaged and tell them that I was there for them and they could count on me and I needed to be able to count on them. And I needed to sit down 
the, with the client and have a direct conversation with them and say, I know this is a difficult situation. I know that the, you know, I know that you know the agency is under pressure and that that gives you power, but it's not going to help you if you are, uh, if you treat my team badly, um, you won't get the best out of them. I mean, that's um, great leadership, but, isn't it? I mean, that's instilling hope in people. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. It didn't feel like it at the time. It just kind of, it felt like, you know, reacting to the pressure. But, you know, I, it's, it's, um, I, uh, I don't, um, you know, I'm pretty, personally, I'm pretty good at compartmentalizing. And um, it's rare that I will leave the office and go home and be worrying about stuff at work. I'm pretty good at being able to sw switch off. Um, you know, there's, t there's times when you get, you get very caught up in and consumed in big work issues. And there have been times in the past where, yes, when, when there are situations where you feel responsible for decisions or problems that could cost other people's jobs, that's, that's stressful. Mm. And, and kind of, um, and how, how is that, does that affect you when you have to do that kind of thing, which, which is an inevitable kind of fact of the job, isn't it? Yeah, how does it affect me? Um, well, you worry about it. You know, you 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 think, okay, if X happens or Y happens, then uh, we might lose this client or we might lose a big bit of this client, and that would mean that people would lose their jobs and that they would hold, not not unreasonably, they would hold me personally responsible for that. And that and you know, obviously, that sometimes happens where those people are your friends. So that's hard. Mm, very much and has the pressure changed would you say since since you started in the industry and the industry now have you seen it either either personally for yourself or with younger people coming into into the industry do you think it has changed or is it different uh i think it's different i mean it's hard it's hard for me to speak on behalf of younger people coming in the, into the industry now uh but the i mean yes the, the pressures are different in the sense that um the world is different um, and our business is different. Our business is far more global than it used to be. Technology has changed the way that we work. The, the complexity of what we do is very different. You know, we used to have far fewer media channels. Um, so there's, there's lots and lots of factors that have changed the, way, the, the, the kind of work that we do and the kind of expectations that we put on people. And I think there's another fundamental one, which is that the... Um, for a lot of people working in this industry, the the demands are greater because there's less there's less margin in the business, and and in that circumstance, companies squeeze their people because that's that's the only place there is left to squeeze. Mm. And how does that affect the work? <laughs> well, clearly it's 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 bad for the work, you know. And uh, uh, the the great advantage that we have of Widen Kennedy is that we're independent, so we don't have holding company we don't have shareholders we don't have that short-term focus on delivering profit which means that when you've when you've made all the efficiencies you can you've consolidated all the group companies that you can you've consolidated all the group company properties that you can and put everyone into a media village and you've squeezed everything else that you possibly can everywhere that you can because of procurement pressure from the clients and the only thing left is instead of making your people work an eight-hour day for a, a for the margin you make them work a 16 hour day because that way you can charge twice um we you know we are not which clearly is going to have an effect on the work we're, we're not in that position because 
we haven't got that um, shareholder city um, pressure to 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 deliver in that way do you think because of the fact that there's a lot more of the kind of um those kind of groups that are coming up and you've remained independent do you think you're getting more people knocking on your door wanting to work for you guys uh definitely for the people who who understand what what difference that makes yes i mean at, at a basic level it means that you know, we're not going to get acquired or merged. Um, you know, we're not suddenly going to um, turn into management consultants or anything like that. Um, the founding principles of the company can still, you know, we can still tr stay true to those principles. You know, so there's basic stuff like that. But yeah, but then on, on a day-to-day -day basis, it means we have, um, and this is going to sound a little bit arrogant, so I don't mean it in an arrogant way, but we, we have the ability to say no to things. Um, if there's a if there's an opportunity that comes up or um, a uh, a challenge that comes up that we don't feel is right for us, we can say no, and that's much much harder if you're part of a publicly quoted massive corporation. You just don't have the autonomy to be able to do that. Mm. And what would you say you're most proud of in your career? What's been the proudest moment so far? <laughs> oh god uh i don't know i <laughs> i i feel proud to be able to say that i work at wine and kennedy i get you know I, it's hard to pick out one specific thing but i'm i'm proud of i'm proud you know proud of working in this agency i think it's i think we are good at what we do i think we we try to do the right thing and I guess I'm proud that, you know, when I started here, whatever it was, 17 years ago, uh, 20 years ago, if you count the freelance stint, um, as I say, it was a kind of a small, scrappy, um, dysfunctional place that had done some great work, but hadn't really realized its potential. And now it's, um, you know, arguably one of the best agencies around. So um, hopefully there was some connection between that and my, my contribution. And what's made you stay so long, would you say? Oh, I don't think anyone else would have me now. Um, I've been rendered unemployable by any reasonable company. Uh, no, it's... it's um, a lot of it is to do with the independence and not having to deal with that kind of corporate bullshit. You know, not having, uh, you know, hierarchies of holding company intermediaries to deal with. Um, you. You know, it's like when I when I, when I was saying earlier. You know, the stress tends to result when you have a gap between your your power to influence things and the problems that need to be fixed. And uh, there's been plenty of problems at Widener Kennedy, but I've always kind of felt that I've had the the power and the influence to be able to act on them and to do something about them. Not always to fix them, but at least you feel you can do something. Um, and I didn't feel that. When I was working in the the holding company environment, and that's that's difficult and discouraging, and and can be stressful. What's your kind of relationship with like the management team as a whole and the leadership team, like both both in London and kind of internationally as well? Well, how does that work? I mean, you've got different types of characters. How do you kind of all work together? You've obviously got a common purpose and a vision that you're aiming for. Yeah, I mean the 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 senior team both in London and globally at Widens, um, it, it tends to be quite a, it's a, quite a lean team. There's not a lot of hierarchy. 
the global team is very small and um most of the people at a senior level have been at the agency for a long time you know so like i've been here 17 years um tony davidson who's the ecd in london has been been with us longer than me even like 20 more than 20 years helen andrews the managing director has been here 10 years i think and um ian tate who's the other ecd in london has been with us in london and portland with a kind of stint in between at at google for i think more than 10 years and the, and the same thing on the global team people have been with the agency you know 10 20 years so uh so there's a lot of kind of shared cultural value and we know each other well and so people feel very comfortable with each other i you know i so said that doesn't mean that we agree on everything we agree we we disagree on things all the time but um we're able to uh you know we're able to have disagreements and for nobody to resent it you know I, and i the the team in london for a long time was uh, me tony davidson and kim patworth who was um tony's partner for a long time and i used to joke that we disagreed on almost everything um <laughs> but uh but that, but it worked because there was a, you know, there was a kind of a healthy um, balance between those, the, you know, the different pulls from those, from those individuals. And I think that's what you, what you want on any team is people who have different points of views but res respect each other's opinions and recognize that they can bring something, bring something different. And, uh, you know, if if I had always got my way running the agency, it would have been shit. You know, it would, it wouldn't have been. Uh, widening Kennedy and you know similarly if one of the other partners had always got their way it would have been very different as well uh, so you you know you you figure something out between you do you think that's something that could be manufactured because people try and create cultures don't they and they try and manufacture the magic and I'm sure a lot of people look at, at what you guys have done and trying to be that replicate that do you think that's possible or do you think it's it just comes from just a certain bunch of people got together at a certain time and just magic happened I, I think it's luck, honestly. Um, it certainly, it certainly wasn't planned, and we didn't figure it out that way. Um, you know, we we're we're very lucky that we had a the the our founder Dan Wyden, um, you know, along with D David Kennedy, but but Dan kind of set out a lot of the principles of the agency in a very straightforward way. Um, you know, the, the kind of, you know, the tablets that Dan brought, brought down from the mountain um, turned out to be pretty damn good. And, uh, you know, he, he only kind of set out a few founding principles for the agency, but they've, they've worked pretty well ever since. And so what you had was a situation where you take those very clear founding principles that we're always going to be independent, we're never going to sell. Um, we, uh, the work comes first. It's all about, um, helping creative people find their voice and do the best work of their lives. Um, you know, Dan said many years before we kind of knew, knew the neuroscience and all this stuff that our job was move me, dude, make, make me feel something, make me laugh, make me cry. Um, turned out to be right on that as well. You know, so there's some basic, basic principles that have, have been unchanged that you then combine with. The personalities and the attitudes of the of the team and luckily it, it it's worked out pretty well I, I could you could you recreate that i don't know i think it's very hard it's almost like you know you, you talk about the example of music which is um one of my hobbies you know what makes one band 
gel and be great. It's not because it's not necessarily because they're the best musicians or um, anything. It's just you get the right people in the right place at the right time, and they're they're complementary um, attributes make something special. You know, I think everybody, if anyone who stayed stayed in it for as long as I have, is obviously still enjoys it and and finds it rewarding. Whether they're at a network agency or mm. um, their own agency or working for an independent, you know, you 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 um you wouldn't you wouldn't do this job for this long unless you unless you loved it. Do you love what you do still? Yeah, I do. Um, otherwise, otherwise I wouldn't, I wouldn't stick at it. I, I mean, it's the great thing about it is, um, you get to work with some brilliant people and, um, you do, even though I've been at the same company for a long time, you get a lot of variety because you're in the course of a week, you're going from dealing with, um, you know, a mobile phone brand to um, the challenges of a sportswear brand to um, a call from a pickle company who might want you to pitch for their business to um, uh, to a, you know a government project in um, India to um, how are we going to deal with um, a problem we've got in this office because of the outbreak of the coronavirus? You know, mm. so there's all kinds of things that um, are difficult and rewarding and challenging and, and keep it really interesting. So I, I've never, never had the chance to get bored by what I do, which is great. And you, you mentioned music there. I mean, what does music mean to you then? What is, what is music in your life? <laughs> uh, well, I guess it's just something that is it's totally different from, um, from work. And so I've always... Um, you know, since my formative years as a as a young would be punk in Aberdeen, um, uh, I've always been into music and loved music, and um, spent a lot of time listening to it and thinking about it and reading about it, and and also playing it very amateurishly. And you know, I've, I've never I've never allowed my incompetence to be a barrier to participating in it. And so, you know, I, I, I played in bands a lot when I was younger. And then just latterly, as my, my kids have got a bit older, um, I've, uh, we've kind of re, re, rejuvenated uh, our aging dad rock band uh, and got going with that again recently. So we've put out um, three albums in the last three years and wow. played a gig on Friday. And it, it's just a, it's just a, it's it's a fun thing to do which is completely different from work it's like side projects isn't it and it's a lot of people now don't have them or feel guilty to do other stuff i mean do you think that's what's kept you sane a lot of the ways it's a big word but that you've got you've got something else as well something else you're passionate about you know people talk a lot about work-life balance and um to me balance in life it, it well Anything that's, anything that's really important to you in your life is in danger of unbalancing other things. You know, whether that's yeah. a personal passion or a job or something that's happening in your family, you know, whatever those things are, um, they, they can get consuming. But, you know, so what I try to do is have a bunch of things that are um, important, but none of them kind of overwhelms the other, you know, so... Yes, I've got um, I've got family. I've got kids. You know that that takes up a lot of time. I've got a, I've got a demanding job. I play in a band. I'm interested in music. I 
I read a lot. I'm interested in cinema. I go to gallery. You know, you, you, you try and find things that um, keep you interested and excited in life. And that's, you know, that's, that's different for everybody. For some people, it's travel. For some people, it's, you know, for some, some people, it's just decompression. And it's like, you know, when I finish work, I just want to go home and veg out on the sofa. You know, everybody's, everybody's different. Um, so, so how how have you managed to keep that balance? I mean, you've got a lot of stuff on your plate and you've got a lot of things there you do to balance out. Is it something you have to be conscious of? Can it slide if you're not careful? Or is it just something you've just naturally fallen into and got used to? Uh, yes, no. So I, the, the thing that I find you need to make an effort with as, as you get older, the thing that's harder to do than when you... Is is um is maintaining personal relationships and social relationships with friends, particularly when you have the combination of you know you have a job and then you start to have kids, and your life becomes very focused around the home inevitably. So when you're not at work, you're at home, and there's definitely a phase in your life there where you can kind of lose touch with your lose touch with your friends because you're just so kind of caught up in bringing up your family. Um, and I kind of feel like I've, you know, my, my kids are now 20 and 15. So clearly they don't want to talk to me. Um, so, uh, you have, you know, you, you kind of come through that and you think, okay, and I've got a bit more time to, to think about, okay, I want to kind of reconnect with some of those relationships and, uh, you know, like starting playing the band again was something that I was able to do because there was a bit more, you know, there's a bit more time in my life. And do you think other people would benefit from having more balance in their life like that? It's kind of like that kind of work-life integration, isn't it? It's kind of the stuff you do helps you in the job as well. It's kind of like if you're going to galleries, you're into music, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. You work in a creative industry. It's a kind of nice full circle, isn't it? Yeah, well, that, that, you know, and for other people, it might be, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to spend all weekend binging on Netflix. You know, it's whatever's right for you. What are your kind of views on awards? What are your views on those? Because obviously, as, as an as an agency, I mean, you've won a ridiculous amount of them, and it's consistent. The consistency is like astounding. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I think we uh, have, you know, as I said, you know, we're. In relation to some of the aspects of the industry, we we have a you know an ambivalent attitude. So um, we we participate in awards, we enter for awards, we 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 like to win awards, but we don't necessarily take them too seriously, and we certainly don't um, think that um, what we're doing is trying to win awards. You know, they're like a they're like a byproduct of um, of what we. Of what we make and what we do a bit like you know is it, it i'm probably going to get this analogy wrong but is it is it um is it bovril or marmite that's a kind of a byproduct of the brewing industry uh, uh yeah 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 you know, the so awards are creative awards yeah. are kind of like the marmite of what we do you know it's not it's, it's it's like they're an offshoot of what we make what we're trying to do is create you know, develop ideas and create things that will help build our clients business and get commercial results for them uh, and we hope that we can do that better through the application of our insights and understanding and creativity if we get awards as a result of that terrific but we should not be setting out to win awards that's not what we're here to do and we shouldn't believe that because we win awards that makes us hot shit um that's 
not <laughs> it's not the important thing i think what's really interesting you've mentioned it a few times now is about not taking it too seriously about not taking awards we don't take them too seriously we don't take ourselves too seriously do you think that's part of the secret as well i mean as keeping perspective because do you think the industry takes itself too seriously these days as a whole <laughs> yes that would be my would be my with my uh personal opinion um it's uh i think there are aspects you know like like things like can to me is an example of the industry taking itself too seriously and kind of thinking that what we do is um worthy of consideration as if it were art um now there, you know, there is some. There clearly there, there is extraordinary work done in our field, and yes, perhaps some of it aspires to the the quality of art. Um, but you know, well, let's not kill ourselves. We know we're trying to sell shit. Let's be honest about that. Um, and we're trying to let's let, let's let's be straightforward about what we do. Let's let's yes take responsibility for the fact that we are working for clients and responsible for large amounts of money on their behalf and that when we do the job right we can make a big difference to their bottom line and let's take all that seriously but let's not um let's not indulge ourselves by believing that we are more important than we really are there's a huge amount of self-imposed pressure when you think you're that important isn't it it's kind of you're gonna lose perspective yeah i mean it's it's um in the in the real world um, those things aren't that important, you know. Absolutely. So what advice would you give, like, other creative leaders in the business who probably do take themselves too seriously? Like not. Um, well, it, 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 I would still say it's important to take what you do seriously. You know, clearly, if you're in a position of leadership and you're responsible for your client's business, and you're responsible for your people and that those responsibilities are things you need to take seriously but that but that doesn't mean that you need to take yourself too seriously um it, you can you because then the danger is that you become pompous and self-important and a pain in the arse so that best to try and avoid that if you can so what was the best thing you've learned about leadership then what would you say are your kind of like super skills what is, what's that big thing you've learned you've found this is which is part of what made me great at doing what i do but I would hesitate to say that I'm great at what I do. Um, uh, I think, you know, there's some obvious basic things would be uh, you've got to try and be really clear and simple about communication, you know, particularly if you're dealing with larger organizations. Um, you know, that, that was the thing I learned from Dan Wyden. Like I say, you know, he, he brought down the tablets of stone from the mountain that said, here's how we do things at Wyden and Kennedy. There's only three or four things, and he consistently said those things, you know, for the last 35, 40 years. And um, that means that people here have a really clear idea of how things are done around here and what's important. So, you know, s simplicity, clarity, consistency of communication. I think it's important to be, um, you know, they talk about presence, don't they? Leadership presence. You got to be, you got to be focused on somebody. If they're, if you're dealing with someone, you, you need to shut out distractions and be focused on them for that moment. Um, even if it's only for a short, even if it's only a short time, you, you can try and make a connection so that you're, you're listening to them and you're understanding what it is they're trying to get across to you. 
Um, and and then I think you you know you 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 have to be aware that if you're in a leadership position, you're being watched, and so your behaviour is significant. You know, even when you think you're not communicating, you are. You're saying, "Here's how this this is how we do things. Um, this is the kind of behaviour that uh, we expect of a leader in this place, for better or worse." Um, uh, and then I think, you know, there's, you know, there's some other things that, you know, I, I've always kind of thought that you need to lead by example, you, that, uh, you know, you, you do what needs to be done. Um, you, um, you know, I don't, beyond that, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I have any, you know, I, it's a lot of it is, is common sense in some ways, but the hard thing is it's not. The hard thing isn't knowing what to do; it's it's actually doing it consistently. Yeah. Mm. And what do you think that leaders within our industry could learn about pressure-proofing themselves better? What could they? What could, what would what would be your advice and from your experience of all this time? I I think for me the the things that I found stressful, kind of as I, as I said before, it's when there's that tension between your um your autonomy or your ability to influence things or implement things and the situation in which you're find in which you find yourself and your, your, um, your power to act on it. And for me, the stress has come when I've had a situation where either I don't know what to do or I know what to do, but I'm unable to do it because I just don't have the um, permission to do it. And that's, that's what has been difficult for me in the past. So I know that's not necessarily helpful, but I guess that'd be my, my advice would be to to not get yourself into a position where you're given responsibility without the author, authority to um, to do what needs to be done. Mm, that's really good advice. And what would you what advice would you give to young creatives coming into the industry now? Uh, what would I say? I think it's still a a brilliant and fascinating uh, business to get into as a creative person. And if I was starting out. You know, the, the advice that I, I suppose I, w- I would give to people would be just to try and be a sponge and soak up and learn as much as you can. Try, try everything that comes up, be open-minded um, because, um, you know, opportunities and ideas can come from unexpected places. So just don't shut yourself off to, um, to chances and opportunities when they come up and, um, you know, always make yourself available for what the next thing might be because, you don't know at that stage what's going to be the things that um, are going to be the most rewarding or involving. I mean, I certainly, you know, when I was starting out, I didn't really have any kind of a plan other than, you know, get a job, um, pay the rent, get a better job, get a better flat and, you know, and then try and stay employed and find a job that was going to be fun and rewarding. So it, 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 uh, you know, I would say, don't try and don't try and plan things too far ahead but whatever it is you are doing, try and find something from it that you can you can learn and use, and that will be valuable. That's great. And do you think do you think younger people are kind of as comfortable embracing failure? That's a good question. I, I I'm I'm philosophically, I guess, disinclined to believe that there are whole generations of people with whose human nature is different from previous generations. 
I do accept that there are different cultural and social forces um, on people at, at different times. And obviously the, the, the cultural and social forces operating on young people now are very different from what they were for me at that stage. Um, but, you know, does, does that mean that the, the pressures and the expectations from them are, are different? I, d I don't know. It's hard, hard to answer that. Do you think embracing failure is something you learn, or do you think it's something you're just gifted with? Well, I certainly know that there's been dis there's been discussions about this that there are there are different cultural backgrounds that can make that that notion of embracing failure different. So certainly, I'm aware that there have been conversations that say it's a it's a privilege uh, to be allowed to embrace failure, and not everyone has that privilege in their background. Uh, and you know, certainly when that, that was pointed out to me, that kind of gave me cause for thought. And I, I had to kind of acknowledge that um, because I do come from a relatively privileged background that maybe um, I was wrong in assuming that that was something that was accessible to everybody. Um, and I, I, so, I, you know, I, I, all I can do is kind of respect that opinion and say, well, if, if you don't feel you were given that permission, then all we can do is to try it when you come to widen kennedy is to say well this is this is why we talk about that and um what we believe you know why we believe it's important because if if we're going to encourage people to to stretch to reach to reach what we believe is their full potential then sometimes they'll they'll fail and to say in this environment that's okay you know even if you've come from an environment in the past where that wasn't regarded as okay and the expectation was put on you that you, it wasn't okay to fail you know, this, this is a place where we'll, we'll try and support you. And uh, it's not like we're going to encourage you to screw up, but we are going to say, you know, we recognize if we push you out of your comfort zone, that that means that sometimes you'll, you'll, you know, the, the, uh, what you're reaching for will exceed your grasp. Um, and that's okay. What's it like for yourself when you see people growing like that? Cause they're going to grow through that experience. What's, what's your thoughts on that? Oh, it's, it's usually rewarding for me and, and, and any manager, I think, when you see the people who are on your team who they could do something or weren't sure they could do something and then they, they managed to do it. And you, of course, that's, ex, you know, that's extremely rewarding and uh, gratifying. It's, it's great. That's great. And what are you most optimistic and hopeful about with the future now moving forwards? Um, I, the thing that I'm um, interested in and optimistic about is that we, it does genuinely feel like we're at the beginning of bringing some very different voices and backgrounds into this business. Um, and the combination of that and a whole bunch of new tools that, that those people can use to express themselves hopefully mean that we'll get some really fresh and original thinking being applied to our work and to our clients' problems. So I'm, I'm optimistic about that. Brilliant. And what, um, with, the, with your role moving forward, what's the, what's the thing that excites you most about that? Well, the, the, the fun thing about um, doing the international job at Widens is that the, the offices around the world are really different and have some really different challenges. But like I say, the founding principles are the same. So the, the fascinating thing is seeing how you apply those principles in different, in different cultures with different teams of people, with different clients, and which aspects of those things 
still fit and still work and which ones need adaptation and how how you uh <laughs> you know how you uh, adapt this culture that you know that grew up in a little town in portland 40 years ago and make it work in shanghai in 2020 um is kind of fascinating and interesting and and a lot of fun a lot of travel or uh, there'll be a fair bit of travel, yeah. But I am an enjoy travel, so um, I don't. I don't enjoy. I don't. I don't enjoy the, the sitting on planes part of it. Um, but I do enjoy, uh, you know, the experience of of seeing how different places work. I mean, you, I mean, you only see a bit of it clearly because you know, mm. you're you're at work and you're in the office. Um, but uh, it's still fun and rewarding to to kind of see how how those places work, and uh, and it's great to. Um, to go to, you know, you go somewhere like Sao Paulo and kind of see, well, how's Widening Kennedy interacting with Sao Paulo? And you get this new combination of the, the founding principles of the company, the personalities of the leaders in that office and the people in that office, and the culture of the environment that they're operating in, which, which creates a new, a new kind of hybrid thing. And, um, you know, so, so the job is to kind of say, well, how can we, how can we, um, try and make that as strong and as um, successful as we can. They say that the best kept secret of leadership is stay in love, which you seem to have done really well. I mean, how would you say to other people how to stay in love, whether at the beginning of their career, the middle of their career, or a long way into it, how can they stay in love? Oh my God. Um, I haven't heard it expressed like that before. Um, well, since you, since you hear news, use the analogy of, uh, you know, a relationship of love i think it's about you know not taking things for granted trying to trying to learn different things about what you're doing uh not getting bored uh you know i think uh, boredom and cynicism are the you know, the kind of energies the enemies of love and you know so long as you're still surprised and engaged and learning things with a bunch of people who you like spending time with, then that those are the things that enable you to to stay in love with your job. It's funny you funny you use that phrase because uh, I remember we had we had a session into you know like I say we have this conflicted relationship. We had a session a little while ago with a, a management team in London, and we were talking about uh, how are we going to make sure we all stay loving our jobs, and we, we all of us were like kind of like groaning or they love loving our jobs you know can we really say that we love what we do um but you know but i guess we do you know it's uh, it's just we don't like admitting it you know we're, we're kind of we're all emotionally repressed and don't like to confess about our emotional attachment is there anything else anything else you would want to share that i haven't asked anything you think would be useful for people listening to this the one the one thing i do, I do come back to again it's, it's the is the the um we, you know, we have it hanging on the the wall of the office in uh, in London at Widening Kennedy, and it was it was an idea we came up with on that Honda pitch twenty years ago. Um, Welcome to optimism, and uh, it was a, it was an idea that never uh, it never flew. The client didn't buy it, and uh, it didn't didn't even really work as a piece of advertising. But uh, we just liked that notion of welcome to optimism as a way of saying even though we um you know even though we work in a in a business that we are we don't necessarily agree with all the values of and um even though um 
you know, sometimes what we do is, is criticized by people outside, we, we should approach it with a lack of cynicism and a sense of optimism. And that, so that idea of welcome to optimism, for me, was like really, you know, important in my formative times at Widener Kennedy. And we still, and we still have it here on hung it, hanging up on the walls in the office. And, uh, you know, the agency blog is called Welcome to Optimism. And we had t-shirts with it on. And in fact, in fact, if you look at the, the, the kind of the color of the background of where I'm sitting, this room is decorated in the, in the, the kind of style of the design of the, the kind of logo that we made for that slogan, Welcome to Optimism. And I do think it's a good way of approaching what we do and whatever you do in life or in work is to kind of say, if you, if you, you know, accentuate the positive and try and focus on the things that you can be positive about, because if you, if you focus on the negative and suck the joy out of everything, then uh, you are, are likely not to enjoy yourself and likely to suck the joy out of those around you. So, um, so I think welcome to optimism would be my, uh, my my words of wisdom, such as they are, no doubt my friends are my friends are going to listen to this and say, "Christy's talking about welcome to optimism." That miserable Scots get how how unlikely is that? <laughs> That's been brilliant, Neil. I've really really enjoyed it, and thanks thanks again for having the time. I know you're very very busy, um, and I know you're flying off next week, aren't you? I think as well. Uh, in fact, this week yeah, I'm off to off to Tokyo in day after tomorrow. Yeah, fantastic. But thanks well, very much. Saying... Thanks very much for having you uh, for having me. Sorry. <laughs> Well, thank you for, for having me. <laughs> if you liked today's show, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, comment and share. And if you'd like to learn more about my work as a sustainable high performance coach, flow state trainer and workshop facilitator, head across to leadingleft.com, where you can also join the waitlist for my upcoming membership site and private mastermind group. Until next time, Take good care of business and that creative brain of yours.